Hello and welcome to the Political Party podcast, this one featuring the former leader of Scottish Labour, Jim Murphy. The only guest I've repeated on the show, um, partly because when I interviewed him it was in Scotland and I wanted to have everyone down at the St James Theatre. Because um, the ones that I do during the Edinburgh Festival uh, are great, but the, the real home of it is at the St James Theatre. And obviously at the time I interviewed Jim, he just resigned as leader of the Scottish Labour Party. This was the only interview he granted. Uh, no BBC, no Sky or anything like that. I was at his resignation speech and then this... Um, this is his, his only full interview since leaving. So this is um, a real treat. It's fascinating. He's, um, he's a funny man. Uh, he's very thoughtful, uh, at times very calm, at times provocative, at times very provocative. In fact, things get very personal. Um, and maybe not in the way that you would think uh, between he and I at one point, um, which uh, on reflection was quite good fun. Um, but a fascinating night and a fascinating insight into a wonderful political brain. Enjoy. Oh my word, good evening. Good evening, welcome to the show, welcome to the show. Uh, give me a cheer if you've been here before. Excellent, welcome regulars. Can we cheer if this is your first time? Yeah. Excellent, welcome newcomers. Welcome, welcome. Uh, fascinating today, uh, today in politics. I don't know if you saw, uh, there was a, a disabled uh, protest that tried to get into the House of Commons. Uh, yeah, tense start. <laughs> I'm not going to make jokes about it. Fucking hell. Easy. Uh, but Cameron was, uh, Cameron came out with a, a phrase today when he was, he was asked questions by the SNP. You might not have seen this. He said, they've gone from full fiscal autonomy to FFS, full fiscal shambles. You're like, mate, that's not what FFS stands for. <laughs> so he got himself in trouble with this before, hadn't he, with LOL. I don't remember this, when he was texting Rebecca Brooks, LOL, and he thought it meant lots of love. It means laugh out loud. And he was sending a text saying, I'm really sorry to hear about your granddad's passing. LOL. <laughs> Just imagine him walking around Downing Street going, bloody hell, I've dropped another glass. Oh, full fiscal shambles, bloody hell. Good God. Uh, Russell Brand got chased out of the People's Assembly the other day. They said there was a, an anti-austerity march. Did anyone go on it, the anti-austerity march? No, I was... A bit unlikely in this venue, to be fair. I know we've got a political spread, but... Uh... Let's be honest. Uh, he, uh, he got chased out. So he's obviously been part of this People's Assembly, the anti-austerity march in Parliament Square. And he was in the VIP area of, uh, of, a, of, a, of the equality campaign. <laughs> Fucking amazing. VIP area at the People's Assembly. We're against inequality. Sorry, mate. Is this champagne warm? Can I get... <laughs> Do you do all those here? It's just, oh, God. Yeah. So weird. There was, some people got really annoyed. You go on YouTube and watch it. There's a woman there going, why don't you fuck off, Russell Brand? Will you fuck off? Go on, fuck off back to Millerbend. <laughs> and, and then he leaves. He leaves. Um, but he's denied his leg it. He said, I didn't leg it. I merely transcended physical locations by the latent <laughs> expression of motion. Uh, decode that, if you will. Uh, well, the Labour leadership election is really... Cooling up, isn't it? <laughs> Fucking hell. The most, what's really funny is the four candidates now have really fitted into their defined roles. So Yvette Cooper, no matter what the question is, says, I'm a woman. In fact, she's telling me she's a woman so often, I'm starting to doubt it. <laughs> she's almost like saying, I know what you've heard, but I am a woman. <laughs> it's absolutely clear. 
Jeremy Corbyn just blames everything on Blair. Andy Burnham just accepts everything and looks like he's on the verge of tears. <laughs> no, I, I, I just want to say that I, I think we were... Uh, so, were you good? No, it's fine. I, he talks like a man who expects to be interrupted, doesn't he, Andy Burnham? Which isn't a good... He's not strong... It's just a good-looking Ed Miliband. Now, whatever people think of what happened to Ed Miliband, it wasn't all down to his looks. It was mostly down to his political direction. I think Andy Burnham's just a better-looking Miliband. Which is, but you know, in the House of Commons, I just want to ask the Prime Minister. I, sorry, no, okay. I, <laughs> oh, no, I, sorry, I, no, it's it's just hay fever. I'm fine. Uh, I, no, something. No, when I did my mascara, I must have got it in my eye. I'm absolutely fine. Uh, and Liz Kendall says, "I'm from Watford." Uh, big breaths, Liz Kendall. If you haven't noticed this about Liz Kendall, the first question I've ever asked. I, I think we got some stuff wrong, but I am from Watford. <laughs> that's, that's all she does. Jeremy Corbyn blames everything on Tony Blair and that's it. And what's what frustrating about the Newsnight hustings is all four of them, apart from Corbyn, just say, yeah, we're really shit. Like, we know we're shit. Can everyone just stop telling us we're shit? And people are asking questions. Go, yeah, a question here from Jamie. Yeah. Can I just ask, why are you all so shit? And Andy Miller goes, Jamie, I, you know, I think Jamie actually makes a really good point here. I, I would go further than that, Jamie. You know, a lot of us are paedophiles as well. And I, I think that's getting lost in this leadership campaign. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Well, I mean, all this paedophilia is Blair's fault for, for the Iraq war. I mean, it just it unleashed a paedophile crime wave across the Middle East, and it's something Tony Blair should face prosecution for. Uh, Liz Kendall. Um, well, I'm from Watford, and I... I uh, it's not about, for me, being Tony Blair or paedophile. You know, for me, it's about being both. <laughs> and Yvette Cooper. Uh, I'm a woman, and I think we need to... What I love about it is she constantly keeps saying, we need a female leader. And people go, yeah, we do, yeah. Liz Kendall. <laughs> Not you. Uh, but I don't know. So do we have many Labour Party members here? Yeah. And uh, anyone tempted to vote in the leadership election? Yeah. An extra three quid. Uh, so let's take a quick straw. I'll tell you what, include the whole room. Who do you think the best Labour leader would be? So a cheer for Andy Burnham. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cheer for Yvette Cooper. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Liz Kendall. Yeah. Crikey. And a lot of people don't give a shit. Uh, it seems from that straw poll. Um, the deputy leadership campaign is, uh, is hotting up as well. Well, no, 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 actually, because the briefing against Liz Kendall has already started. I don't know if you saw this, but someone close to Andy or Rivette has said that um, Liz Kendall isn't just New Labour. She's New Labour Taliban. I don't know if you've heard this phrase. Now, I don't know where the fuck they've got this from. I've got some of Liz Kendall's quotes, right, from the last few weeks. And the idea that she's some sort of, like, renegade, I think, is unfair. She's a Blairite, I think that's true, but I think the campaign being waged against her is, is frankly ignorant. Some of her quotes. Um, so here we are. This is one of the ones that got her into trouble. Uh, on Andrew Marr, she said, we shouldn't close successful free schools. Right? Controversial to some. Not Taliban, is it? Uh, on, on the Sunday politics, she said, we need a strong defence industry and uh, a strong defence of the, of the country. Maybe a little bit, you know, there's a sort of military term to it. At the Women's Institute, I said, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, motherfucking Western cocksuckers. <laughs> Maybe it was that that did it. <laughs> I am tempted to just ring Andy Burnham's campaign every hour and just go, Hello, Akbar! Hello, Akbar! Decadent Western pigs! Um, the, 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 uh, 
but the campaign for Labour's deputy is also uh, is also really you know failing to inspire anyone. Uh, <laughs> in all honesty. Um, Online campaign. What you should all do, by the way, if you just want to see the amount of shit that people talk, just sign up to all of their campaigns. Sign up to all of their campaigns, you get all their emails. Now, a lot of them are tedious. Some of them are mad. Caroline Flint's campaign for deputy leader begun in earnest this week with an email that she sent. Now, this, see if this strikes you as a bit of an odd tone. The subject to this email is, you may think you know me. <laughs> now... Depends on, that's a bit of an odd start, isn't it? <laughs> Dear Matt, you may think you know me. Now, it depends how you say that. She's obviously trying to re-establish her reputation. So if you say it in a breezy way, Dear Matt, you may think you know me, in a way, but, you know, but I'm a little bit different. That's fine. The problem is, it sounds like a bit of a threat. <laughs> Dear Matt, you may think you know me. But let me tell you something. Jackie is a fucking lying bitch. <laughs> I wasn't even there that weekend, right? So, whatevs. <laughs> she then embarks on, so Sadiq Khan, you know, son of a bus driver, um, Tom Watson, a normal guy, um, Liz Kendall's from Watford. Um, <laughs> Caroline takes it one step further. Dear Matt, you may think you know me. My mum was a land parent at 17. I never knew my dad. <laughs> I haven't even got your name yet. Fucking <laughs> hell. Chill out. <laughs> Twice in my teens, that's a little way from home. The second, because of my mum's alcoholism. Right, tragic. But what was the first one? She doesn't tell us. Maybe it was a slumber party. Light in the mood, Caroline. Crikey. Bill and Ted had just come out on DVD. We, we ate a load of marshmallows and had a laugh, you know. Um, but she goes, I know what it's like to worry about money and to need a job. Well, yeah, a lot of ex-Labour MPs do as well, Caroline. So. Steady on, mate. It's just, I mean, it, it does just sound someone who's sat at the end of a bar with a bottle of wine, doesn't it? I never knew my dad. I bet when I was 17. I've got two kids, I have. I've been skinned. Yeah, register for three quid and uh, give us a vote, will you? I mean, really, all she needs is just six words. I am not Tom Watson. And that would do it. Oh, some Watsonites then, eh? I don't know, what are you if you're a Tom Watson supporter? Apart from a dick. Uh, what, would you, what would you call... Is, is, it, yeah. is it a Watson? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think there'll be enough to, uh, for it to be a movement, to be honest. Uh, Alex Salmon's got himself in trouble this month. Uh, he's uh, sexually patronised uh, a female Tory MP, Anna Subri, in the House of Commons. He said, uh, the minister should stop uh, running around like a demented person. Uh, carry yourself, woman. People said, you can't talk to women like that. That's sexist, right? And it, it, it classic defence, somebody went on radio for a minute, ah, ah, no, 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 ah, ah, it's not sexist. It, it, it's say, uh, people aren't understanding the, the Scottish dialect. <laughs> it's an old Scottish phrase. That, what? Yeah, when I called her a fat bitch, it's an ancient Scottish greeting. Uh, yeah, I told her to fuck herself. Actually, it's, uh, it's an old Gaelic phrase. Uh, <laughs> But he used the classic excuse that people who are accused of bigotry always do. He said, I, I, I don't have a, a sexist bone in my body. But no one ever claims that they do, do they? No one says, oh yeah, I, I've got a sexist bone actually. It's just being a year, yeah, it's uh, really sexist. Uh, you know, at night, just banging on about who they can't pack. And uh, I've got a racist bone in my body as well. I mean, you don't want to meet that guy. I've got a really awful phibia. <laughs> Homophobia, actually. It's, uh, <laughs> That's him out of the body. Boris Johnson's been getting in arguments as well. You see the argument with the taxi driver? You can see this on YouTube. He's out cycling Boris, and the taxi driver pulls up next to him and goes, See that, mate? You're one of them, you are. 
You're one of them, mate. And Boris goes, hey, why don't you fuck off and die? And then that's a nod in that order. Wanted to die and fuck off. It? Surely it is fuck off and die. They go and leave and now die. You don't go, oh, he's died. Fucking hell. Come on, fuck off, mate. I knew I kept getting that the wrong way around. Bloody awful. Oh, full fiscal shambles. Oh, bloody hell. Um, Nigel Farage uh, continues to be wonderful uh, in his own way. The policy, the, the one thing that UKIP is still banging on about is this um, National Health Service, not an international health service. And he famously, during the leaders' debate, said, well, look, I don't think we should treat people from foreign countries who come here with HIV. It's a national health service. It's not an international health service. Now, I don't think Nigel Farage should be the arbiter uh, of who and who shouldn't receive health care in this country. <laughs> Because the extension of that is that he's effectively said, I'll decide who and who doesn't. So foreigners can't have it, British people can. I don't want him patrolling the wards going, right, what's the problem here? Hit by a bus, where are you from? French, he'll walk it off. <laughs> well, I think you're missing the fact that he's still got 75% of his limbs. <laughs> uh, the Greens, uh, I, I was rereading some of the manifestos this week. The Greens are still committed uh, to a number of things. Um, and my favourite Green policy... You know, they had loads of different... Labour had a gay manifesto. Oh, that's not me slagging it off. They had, they had a, a manifesto. <laughs> they had a manifesto for gay people, right? So they had a normal manifesto, or a manifesto, and then they went, oh, and if you're gay... <laughs> got a few extra ones for you. We've got a few extra ones. If you're gay, there's another one. And you said, well, just put it all together in what most people call a manifesto. That's the whole idea of having it. And you just think, well, it's a good job Ed Miliband didn't launch the gay manifesto with one of his stories. I met a guy in the park. Uh, it was Clapham cobbled. Uh, uh, and uh, he said to me, uh, he said, nice ass. <laughs> but, imagine if UKIP would have had a gay manifesto. That would have, been, would have just been one side of A4. Sort yourselves out. <laughs> Seriously, stop mucking about. No one's full. Uh, but you, uh, Green, the Green Party, the Green Party didn't just have a gay manifesto, they had an LGBTIQ manifesto. Now, a lot of you will be familiar with LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. The Greens are even more politically correct, they put the IQ on the end, which stands for intersex and queer. Now, we're all intersex, right? <laughs> but, so I read it. Uh, mainly just fairly straightforward. But they, they also had an, uh, a manifesto for animals, which begs the question, who would have read it? Uh, <laughs> one of my favourite lines in it, policy number seven, is to give animals a genuine voice in policymaking. <laughs> OK, now, what a roundtable that would be. Uh, yeah, we've got Caroline, uh, head of policy, we've got Dave here, head of comms, and we've got... Um, yeah, we've got... Uh, <laughs> We've got Rex here, he's a, he's a, he's a staffy. Um, so yeah, let's, let's kickstart. What, on the, the environment, okay? What's that, mate? Says he's hungry and he needs a shit. <laughs> yeah, write it down. No, there's no, no one's got a monopoly on good ideas, mate. What's that? Kill all cats. Right, this is a fucking disaster. <laughs> the one thing that's frustrating me the most about this, because Tim, the, the Lib Dems have a leadership candidate, uh, camp, well, I mean, the most pointless leadership campaign, and might as well just toss a coin. There's so few of them. <laughs> Uh, but they've got their leadership campaign. And what you notice with all of these leadership campaigns, Labour deputy, Labour uh, leadership, Labour London mayor, and now the Lib Dem leadership, is that people make these videos. Now, I don't know if people have seen them on YouTube, but the, the, the formula for all of them is a sort of soft piano music 
and someone talking over them in a very reasonable tone. Uh, it's weird. It's always something a little bit like this. <laughs> Hi. I'm the local candidate in this campaign. I just want to say we got it wrong. And I just want to say that that campaign I was deeply involved with was complete bullshit. <laughs> I've completely changed my mind. Because for the last five years I wasn't listening. But now I am. Now, you might usually see me screaming across the House of Commons or trying to unseat a popular Labour Prime Minister. But I'm talking softly. <laughs> so you can trust me now. I'm Tom Watson. At least I'm not Yvette Cooper. That's basically it. But you just think, you wonder if they sort of go through... Because Sadiq Khan does it as well. Hi, I'm Sadiq Khan. Uh, and uh, I was born in Kansas State. And my uh, father was a uh, father was a bus driver. Lovely. Uh, it's, when they, it's when they say it to... It's when they tell you, quote you stuff that you haven't asked. They offer you information you haven't asked for. So, uh, what, Sadiq, what will you do about the economy? My dad was a bus driver. So. <laughs> yeah? Uh, sorry, did you hear the question, mate? <laughs> But you just think, I wonder if they go through, I wonder if they go through, because they must think, their advisor must go, yeah, I, Sadiq, I'm getting it, but I think without music, you're going to really struggle. Right? <laughs> For me, this just needs music, man. It's got such a vibe to it. Like, I think we need a soundtrack this time. So imagine them sort of going through their track listings, going, track one, can I talk over this? <laughs> Fucking Sadiq. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. What about track two? No, it's too sad. It's uh, music for divorced people. Uh, <laughs> track three. Yeah, so much of a much of the What else have you got? Uh, what have you got on track four? Sadiq. Yeah, I like that. I like that. No, OK, fine. Um, uh, what have you got on track five? I'm Sadiq. Uh, uh, um, no, I don't like that. Uh, <laughs> That was fucking risky, wasn't it? <laughs> but you think you could take you could take that music, you could take that sort of that track one music. You could be if you make yourself sound reasonable. Everyone sort of sounds right. You talk over music like that, you can make anything sound acceptable. Hi, I'm uh, I'm Robert Mugabe. <laughs> now you might know that I cut my opponent's brake leads and have people that disagree me executed, but you know. It just kind of works for me. <laughs> and people have said I haven't listened for 15 years, but, you know, if it ain't broke, why change it? It kind of works for me, you know, and I'm your choice in reality whether you voted for me or not. <laughs> but at least I'm not Yvette Cooper. <laughs> I'm McCarvey. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, we have, uh, we have a very special guest uh, with us this evening. Uh, he's someone I've interviewed before, but I've been desperate to get him uh, down here at the London show. So I hope you enjoy that. And um, as always, you know, it's a pleasure to do these gigs. Um, and, you know, I don't want to sound sort of, you know, like a bullshitter, but, you know, you've been a great audience. And <laughs> it means a great deal to me that you're here, you know. <laughs> I just want you to really enjoy the night. I'll see you in a bit. I'm Matt Ford. See you in a bit. That's five, isn't it? I think it was at least I'm not Tom Watson, but there you are. Still the case, I'm not. Uh, well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Um, over the last sort of two and a half years, I've always tried to get um, politicians of varied experience, uh, people who um, are at various different stages of their career. Um, and tonight we have someone who was uh, a bright young thing uh, and uh, has arguably already reached the end of his career. So it's, uh, 
it's, uh, he's, had a, he's had a fascinating... I don't think there's a single politician in the country, to be fair, that's had the sort of year that, that our next guest has had in terms of actually going out face-to-face um, and face-to-placard and face-to-brick um, in, in, a way that, uh, in the way that our next guest has. Uh, he's a remarkable man. Uh, he's a very funny man. He's a very decent man. Please, uh, welcome to the stage, Mr Jim Murphy. <laughs> Uh, at least one seat you've got in London there, Jim. Uh, <laughs> the same number we've got in Scotland. <laughs> um, I mean, we spoke in the Edinburgh Festival last August, and this time last year, um, Labour were in opposition, um, Scotland was still part of the UK, and you weren't... <laughs> And you weren't Labour leader. Um, how, little, how little has changed? Uh, how little has changed that? Since you've left as Scottish Labour leader, which has only been about a week now, yeah, what are your feelings just as a person being away from that now? Um, relief. That kind of sense of, ah, oh, fuck, that didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> My job there is done. <laughs> Well, I was the leader of the Labour Party in Scotland. We had 41 seats um, when I became leader, and six months later we had one seat. So... It's a strong base on which to build. Well, uh, things, things can all get better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Party renewal doesn't always have to mean success. Uh, you've renewed the party in a very unique way. I mean, do you feel... Thanks, mate. <laughs> do you feel that it's harsh, though? Do you feel that, actually, the, the, the election in Scotland was a judgement on your leadership, or do you think there were wider things? <laughs> I mean, I, I, th- I think you're right. Uh, I think we all know who it is. Uh... Okay, we'll leave that alone. <laughs> um, you can blame the, the, the politicians when they lose an election. Say it's the voters' fault. They're stupid, and I think that's a recipe for kind of perpetual defeat. So, yeah, politics. Politics. Sorry to be serious. Sorry. That's um, right. You get what you deserve in politics, and you know we didn't. We got what we deserved, we lost, we got absolutely hammered. And that's our fault, no one else's. Sorry about that. No, I mean, it's just... It, it, I mean, I suppose there's a, there's a middle ground, though, isn't there, between saying... You've turned up to the wrong show. <laughs> <laughs> there's a middle ground, isn't there, in between... <laughs> there's a middle ground in between saying the public are right and saying the public are so right, apparently we're absolutely dreadful. I mean, the, it, public, the public in Scotland... Right. The public... There's, again, there's... There's no punchline at the end of this. I can't think of an election since the Second World War, and because I'm British, and happily British, um, we always use the Second World War as some defining moment in our history. Can I pick a random date, and it's always the second, always since the war, as if there's only ever been one. But I can't think of an election since the Second World War where you cannot think backwards and think, the public were right. Even when the Labour Party got gubbed, which normally happens, I think, there's only three, is it three Labour Party leaders have won a decent majority? Um, since the Second World War, only two of our nine leaders have actually won an election. Go on, go on keep saying it. Because uh, I, I know where this is going, I know where this is going. And there's, there's only one who's won three. <laughs> <laughs> Boss man! 
you're the last man in the jungle, aren't you? <laughs> I am, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even he's left. He got choppered out. Oh, man. Um, it's, just, it's just refreshing to hear a politician say that, because... What? Well, just that the public aren't wrong, because I think... Well, of course. It, but that's not what all Labour figures are saying. No, but all, Paul, people always do this, are listen and learn, and we, we, we've got to reflect. No, actually, you've got to accept. We got absolutely hammered. <laughs> and I would have said that if I was still... If I would have said this last week before I resigned. It's just a, If you can't... You've all... Well, not all. Well, depends how sad you are. You, if you're all sad, then you'll all have seen these by-election programmes. <laughs> at late at night, at two in the morning, where the, the candidate whose party's lost has said, this is a better defeat than we would expect. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all shit. <laughs> And you just might as well tell the truth. That's my approach to these things. Because public say, yeah, fair enough. Maybe if, he, if they in any way give the impression that they know that they're lost, I'll maybe think about voting for, maybe think about voting for the next time. But a kind of sense of grudging sense of, oh, stupid voters got it wrong again. I think you're in a bad place if you do that. But does that mean that the Labour Party has to completely change now in order to reconnect with people? Do you know, that's, I don't want to be dismissive, but as a kind of private citizen, I hope so but it's no longer my job. I'm a, I'll always be a member of the Labour Party, but my period of influence in the Labour Party, um, so I get elected in my 20s in the 1997 election, my period of kind of influence in the Labour Party um, is, behind, is in my rear-view mirror. But it does have to change. I mean, You're going to reverse back over it? <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of people in the, a lot of people in the Labour Party want to reverse over me, I think. Um, no, I, Labour Party's got to change. What do you do? You can't change the voters. You can't sack the voters. So you change your leader and you've got to do... You can't just do Ed Miliband with more passion or Ed Miliband with a different accent or Ed Miliband... As a, <laughs> or as a different gender. Or you, you, <laughs> you've got to do things differently. When you, you, you don't lose by a little. I mean, without... This is starting to sound a bit like question time, but yeah. like, we lost two or three elections in one day. We lost in Scotland to the Nationalists, we lost in England, large parts of England to the Tories, and we lost in parts of our kind of core vote and grassroots to UKIP. So it was, it was a kind of an astonishing achievement. <laughs> <laughs> For which I blame no one other than myself. Did you see the scale of it coming? Yeah. Um, oh, gosh. Um, I hoped we would win. I wasn't sure we would ever win. Um, and Scotland was... I said this in a, 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 an interview in the wireless a couple of weeks ago. It was like, when I was doing the debates, it was like being up against... When I was up against the SNP, it was like being a, against a kind of quasi-religious rock concert. <laughs> Nothing mattered. And I know this gets podcasts, and I'm already in bother, but hey. Um, <laughs> it just, and I don't want to be dismissive of anybody who, in Scotland who voted the SNP. Actually, most people who voted SNP. Um, but the fact is that there was, no, there was no truth and no fact that was going to get in the way of the emotion and motive and almost religious zeal that very large numbers of people had. So what currency would, you use, would Scotland use if we were independent? <sighs> well, work that out. Now, a six-year-old child knows that one of the first things a country's got to know is what... What, what, in what currency the pocket money is going to be paid in. And I'm not equating Scotland with a child and pocket money with a Barnet formula. That's not my point before I get in more trouble. The point is that, I mean, even the most basic questions, when I said to people, what about the armed forces? What about European Union membership? They said, do you know, Jim, your problem is you just don't believe in Scotland. 
Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> that was the basic t tenor of the whole Someone's thing. got a potty mouth, hasn't he? <laughs> that was my dad. <laughs> I'm always fascinated by the relationships that people have with their counterparts. Oh, obviously, in, in Parliament, the, the sort of twinning system forces Labour MPs to yeah. sort of buddy up with a Tory MP if they, if they miss votes. What's your relationship like with, with Alex Salmond? Is there any sort of line of communication? Was there any... None whatsoever. Uh, none whatsoever. Um, he's a bully. Um, he's a megalomaniac. Sorry for anyone who's a big fan. And I'm sorry for not pulling my punches. I can give you a more diplomatic answer. Um, our past didn't cross very often. So I, don't. <laughs> I don't know him well. But I'm sure he's kind to cats. <laughs> Is that OK? Yeah, that's fine, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about Nicola Sturgeon? I don't know her very well. <laughs> our past never crossed. What was that I'm note? sure she's kind to cats. <laughs> I think, I think Nicola Sturgeon is an altogether um, more reasonable human being. I mean, I have, this, what, I have never... Alex Hammond, has, I mean, he speaks a lot, um, but the phrase I have never heard him utter, because I don't suspect he's ever thought it is, you've got a fair point there. His, his version of nationalism has never compromised with anything that has ever... Con collided with or been conflicted with it's, an, it's a political absolutism that I find genuinely unattractive I mean I can, I can argue against the Tories and what's left of the Lib Dems um, <laughs> and I can see that I don't, agree, I don't always agree but I can see the point and occasionally alright okay fair enough you can be persuaded but with Alec it was just a genuinely kind of blinkered sense of politics that I find genuinely I mean, remarkably and singularly unattractive um, unappealing and as a, a style of politics, he's bombastic and bullisome. And I grew up in a Glasgow housing scheme. And you deal with, you don't, you show weakness to a bully, they bully you further. So, so uh, just what you're saying, you're going to glass him? <laughs> <laughs> but Nicola Sturgeon, you find a, a more reasonable. Yeah, I think aspect. she is. I think she is more thoughtful, she's more reasonable, um, she's more successful. And I think for a lot of people, there was a sense of, thank God he's gone. This woman seems, just kind of, she seems an altogether kind of more relaxed, more human, and kind of more attractive character. And I think that was part of the success. Because I, I saw a tweet when you resigned, you know, it was words to the effect of, you know, whatever our differences, you know, yeah. Jim's passionate guy and I wish him all the best or something like that. That I mean. was nice. Who was that from? That was from Nicholas Sturgeon. Oh, right, okay. No, no, no. Not Alex Salmon. I know it's rare for you to get a nice tweet. You looked absolutely shocked. Um, but I, I, I just... Um, I wondered if maybe she'd sent you a note or you'd spoken no. on the phone and... You know. No. No, really, we're not that close. Because it's odd, isn't it? Because in a way, in politics, you are defined by your adversaries sometimes. You are, but... I, I managed to try and... I try and get on with all sorts of folk. And I'm not always successfully, but... For example, I bumped into David Cameron. It was a couple of weeks ago when I was emptying my office out in the House of Commons <laughs> and he tried to pretend he wasn't delighted. <laughs> I kind of saw through it. Uh, you're defined by your adversaries, you're defined by, you're defined by what you achieve, you're, and increasingly you're defined by, as you say, by the, kind of so, the social media personality that other people try and kind of foist upon you. Because even today there were, there were stories on the, I saw on the Daily Mail website about some yeah, tweets you'd received. So it must be true in the Daily Mail, but it was true. 
I don't know, I was looking at pictures of John Terry's wife on the beach and then there was something about... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> something about politics that caught my eye. Um, yeah, the story across two pages of Daily Mail today was that some guy saying... Um, all, I am, this isn't me speaking, this is him. I am a violent man. <laughs> and all I ask for is ten minutes in a locked room with Jim Murphy. I didn't know someone tweeted. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the type of kind of cheery thing you get in Scottish politics at the moment. I mean, it's just a... Like, some of it's fun and you've just got to, you've got to roll with it and you kind of... You've just got to take that sort of stuff. But it's got to a point where it, there's nothing like this in English politics the extent of kind of personal vilification and hatred. I'm sure there's a little bit on both sides, but... Oh, we can make sure it happens. I mean, most people are on Twitter, Jim. I mean, we can, all, <laughs> we can arrange for it. Um, but how do you deal with that as a human being? Does it, does it get to you? Or? you know, when you were, you were active in politics, as long as people didn't attack your family, you just had to smile. But and blocking people on Twitter is strangely addictive. Right? <laughs> and really therapeutic. I've done nothing for the last week other than travel here and block, <laughs> block, block people on Twitter. I had loads of followers, and now I've got about 12. <laughs> I think they're all immediate family members. Uh, but you just got to roll with it. I mean, they, they, A lot of good people only have 12 followers. Of course. Uh, well, I don't think he lost 40 seats. He kind of lost it. He did get crucified, though, in argument. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was free, so free social media, though. It was relatively private, although I think they wrote a book about it. I don't know how it's done. I wrote a book. About football? About football, yeah. I wrote a book about football and politics, because I like, I mean, I used to like politics, and I've always loved football. <laughs> um, and so I wanted, to, I wanted to read a book about the kind of social history of football and I, could, I just couldn't find it so I thought, oh, bugger it, I'll write it so I wrote a book, ten football matches that changed the world and one that didn't, there's my that's the fee, wasn't it, I was allowed to mention it once absolutely right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. be edited out on the podcast football <laughs> <laughs> I hope so but I mean, football, I've all, I mean, I was the captain of the parliamentary football team and we weren't, we just were not very good um, Is there anything you win, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> I once, yeah, referendum, yeah. I once oh, yeah, fair dues. Yeah. yeah. How did the, yeah, you passed <laughs> You can get to the Edinburgh Festival without a passport because of me. Oh, thank you, yeah. That's all right. If you're invited back. Um, I once won a fishing contest without catching a fish. <laughs> How'd you do that? Well, now I'm not trying to get elected. I don't have to pretend that this was entirely honest. <laughs> I was only ten. I didn't. I was the only one who in the. It was, I was on holiday in a place called Rossi, and uh, I was the only one who had. I was a paper boy, so the only one who had the money to enter the contest. But I was the only one who didn't catch a fish. So I got other people's fish and won. There you are, there's a Daily Mail front page. Murphy's a liar, a thief and a cheat. But anyway, football. Um, I was captain of the House Commons football team and, and we, were, we took ourselves seriously and we always get people who wanted to sponsor the parliamentary football team. And McDonald's wrote to us, and I'm, a, I'm vegetarian, right? I'm, a kind of, there are, I'm not in the majority in Scotland. Right. <laughs> Would you just eat the batter? <laughs> <laughs> fried Mars bars. Oh, you should try it's rancid. Gen and the Scottish Parliament, genuinely, 
Two weeks ago, I was in the Scottish Parliament as a farewell tour, right? <laughs> uh, there wasn't a big, there wasn't a kind of big good luck in your future life kind of event as I left, but the last day I was there, genuinely, on the menu, in the Scottish Parliament, avoiding all kind of national stereotypes, was deep-fried Mars bar. <laughs> Can I wonder why Scotland's got a health problem when the Parliament is letting the politicians <laughs> deep-fried Mars bar. Anyway, McDonald's wrote and said, we'd like to sponsor the parliamentary football team. And we had three long meetings about oh, reputational damage, childhood obesity, sugar, blah, blah. And they were doing all this sort of, don't worry, we now stocks. Anyone work for McDonald's here? I can tell by the way you look, you look worried. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you work at McDonald's? No, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're in the right place if you're interested. But um, why are you interested in McDonald's? Oh, you're interested in football? Who's your team? Oh, this is your job, sorry. Oh, no, 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 it's fine. Crystal Palace. They're in the book. Um, a game in 1984 against Chelsea. It was the first time anybody in British football stood up to racism. A man called Pat Nevin scored a goal for Chelsea against Crystal Palace. And they asked him afterwards, what did you think about his goal? And he didn't do the kind of... It was a good goal, but it doesn't really matter. It's how the team does. It was great to get two points. And back then it was two points, OK? Um, wasn't three. Um... <laughs> And he just says, but I'm disgusted by my own supporters because a football, uh, one of the Chelsea players called Paul Cannaval came on. He was the first black player to play for Chelsea. I'm good, I'm good pals with him now. And he came on and his own supporters threw bananas and made ape noises at him. And so Pat Nevin threatened to resign. And it was at the game at Crystal Palace. It would have been Selhurst Park um, at Crystal Palace. So anyway, that's McDonald's. Oh, it's more of a documentary than else. <laughs> a new career. Um, they wrote and said all this. We had three meetings, blah, blah, blah. And they, McDonald's said, don't worry, we do now sell salads and all that sort of shit. <laughs> um, and that was very informal email. <laughs> <laughs> I, think was, I, think was, I think it was pre-email. Pre-modern. Um, and we thought, ah, OK, we'll go with it. Um, and then, after all the expenses thing and all the kind of stuff, we got a letter, not an email. And I was the chairman of it all, dear Mr Murphy. As you know, for the last four years, five years, we've sponsored the parliamentary football team and we've enjoyed doing so. It's blah blah And the punchline was, however, in light of recent events <laughs> and because of the reputational damage <laughs> that you're causing McDonald's, <laughs> we're going to see through a sponsorship. Now, how, that's when you know you're in a bit of bother, isn't it? <laughs> it's the political class from McDonald's. The fine... High protein, <laughs> healthy food retailer that they are. Um, Good Scottish that was, name there. That, yeah, absolutely. That's part, that was part of the sponsorship range. We always had to talk well of them. Um, but when you know you're causing McDonald's reputational damage, <laughs> it's time to try something completely different. And I've no idea what it would be. I could talk about football all night. I mean, um, my Twitter handle, this isn't a plug, it's just my reflection, <laughs> is, um, is um, it changed, it used to be something to do with politics, it's, it's now Glasgow Murphy. And I think we've spoken before, anybody here from Glasgow? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> they gave you the back row. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know why. Uh, which football, uh, uh, oh, this is an odd question. Which football, do you follow either of the Glasgow football teams? No. All right, so I can get away with this then. All right. Oh. Um, you do? I do. Who do you support? I'm not asking you who you support because that's a loaded question, but he is. Yes. <laughs> who do you support? That's not the hardest question, surely. <laughs> I mean, you must surely remember. 
Hello? I think the spirits are still talking, Jim. Yeah, yeah. He's not as interested as you. It's like a seance. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Seance of a. Yeah. I was going to do a joke about political careers dying, but I didn't. Mine's I, <laughs> <laughs> <is> already dead. <laughs> no seance will revive it. Um, anyway, I, was, I, was, I had played football for my Celtic supporter. I've no idea who he supports. Uh, the sea. Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> Leicester City. That's a confused answer to a pretty straightforward question. Um, which team in Glasgow do you support? Leicester City. <laughs> okay. Uh, you got a high class audience, don't you? Um, anyway, I had played well, no, football. Yeah, don't start on this lot, mate. They're one of the few crowds that haven't protested outside against you. <laughs> <laughs> that is unusual, actually. It's unusual to go to any event where I don't have people calling me a traitor and a paedophile. And, also and that was party things. members. <laughs> <laughs> Not going there. Anyway, this man from Leicester supports Glasgow Celtic and Glasgow Rangers. Um, I had played in a charity football match at Ibrooks, and I'm a Big, I've got a passing interest in Celtic, right? And um, I had played football at Ibrooks, had scored, I was in the Rangers, a Rangers top, I had scored a diving header. Again, I can let you in and I don't mind anymore. Um, <laughs> I had scored this diving header and no one, it didn't get caught on camera, right? And I, turned, I celebrated, didn't get caught on camera. So I thought, I'll do it again. <laughs> so I just faked the whole thing. <laughs> And dive what, like the moon landings? What do you mean? Like, you... Yeah, I was a little less sophisticated <laughs> than that hoax, but... Um... <laughs> so what, you took, you took a camera down and then reshot it? Just got the newspaper, say, you missed that, come and do it again, I got a guy across it, and... And, <laughs> <laughs> and I missed the reshoot, but it didn't matter, <laughs> because the thing that mattered was the celebration, and I'm celebrating in my Rangers top at Ibrooks, I forgot it, and then the next weekend I was at Celtic Park queuing to get in, and this guy shouted... Um, Murphy. Now, again, you don't have to know all about the history of Glasgow immigration um, <laughs> um, to know that I'm not the only Murphy going to watch Celtic. Uh, and I didn't turn round. I was with the, my kids, and I didn't turn round. And then they shouted, Jim! Again, it's Glasgow. <laughs> and the woman at the back, I called Jim. Um, everybody in Glasgow's called Jim. Um, so I didn't turn round, and then a beer can hit me in the back of the head. <laughs> and I kind of worked out they wanted my attention. Um, and they said, and this is without, I mean, th th without a word of a lie, I mean, the, the photograph was faked, but the story isn't. Um, they said, we saw you in the Daily Record, because it was the front, the back page main picture um, of me in a ranger's top. We saw you in the Daily Record, and this was during all of the kind of expense, again, the McDonald's thing, the whole expenses thing. And they said, we saw you in the back of the Daily Record with your ranger's top on. Your family must be ashamed of you. Why couldn't you just have been stealing your expenses like everybody else? <laughs> <laughs> Don't they do duck ponds in Glasgow? Um, so anyway, it's a great book about football. <laughs> Which is now available. So, so is that... Do you, have you thought Palace about... In it. But have you thought about what you're going to do next? Do you think you'll write a book or... Mm. Work at McDonald's or... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I only got in politics because I lost... I'd, well, I got elected, that's why I got in politics. But, I mean, I'd, I remember failing a job interview... Yeah, you got into politics first, didn't you? Yeah, but I remember failing a job interview to be a bingo caller. How'd you fail that? I've no idea. I never got any feedback. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> so what, what was the audition like? Can you remember it? Just, just go up to the front and call the numbers, and I did the whole kind of number 10, Maggie's Den, and all that. Yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I didn't get the job. Um, anyway, that's an aside. What were we talking about? I oh, know, what will I, I do next? Uh, yeah, oh, but this bingo of, thing's no, fascinating. No, no, it's not fascinating. It's something I shouldn't have said. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I was going to write a book, but I mean, you don't make any money from it. It's like, you know, books are hobbies, unless your name's J.K. Rowling or, or anything like that. And the book I was going to write was uh, ten, the ten most important speeches that were never delivered. Now, I didn't warn you of this, so you're going to have to come up with something humorous. Uh, are they all yours? <laughs> <laughs> no, I said ten. Victory speech. <laughs> <I> said... <laughs> Five-year anniversary is leader speech. <laughs> I did say the ten most important. <laughs> uh, you're not bad. <laughs> no, but one, this was basically ten speeches that were written that just didn't see. And it came from. I remember. Re, I remember reading JFK's speech that he was meant to deliver the day that he was killed in Dallas, and I thought that's fascinating. I wonder if there's any other examples. And then there's a few. It doesn't matter. Um, actually, in the event of the moon landing, if it had all gone wrong, there's a speech. Um, not by the astronauts, of course. But, um, <laughs> um, but then I thought, in the world of politics, David Miliband's victory speech in 2010. Yeah. You worked on his campaign as well, didn't you? I was his campaign manager. <laughs> kind of... Now, see if any of you want a reference. <laughs> this lady here. <laughs> the man from Leicester. And, kind of... and then Alistair Darling's concession speech if we lost the referendum. And then loads of others kind of... Across history. That's the book I'm going to write. It's a great idea. Will you buy it? Wow. You want a compliment? (laughs) (laughs) From a charity shop about two years later. Um, You mentioned David Miliband there. Have you spoken to him since the election? Mm -hmm. Um, What was the nature of the conversation? (laughs) Long distance. (laughs) (laughs) But was he he giving you any insight as to what his future plans are? He was going to the park with his kids. Listen, I'm not going to answer What is it about the Millibands and parks? (laughs) 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 That's where they always hang out. Um, But do do you think he'll come back? He's definitely going to come back. To Britain. But to British politics? Oh, no, I I don't know. I mean, I genuinely don't. Someone gasping. I mean, I suspect... He's here, actually, in a couple of weeks. So he's definely coming back. I'm going out for a drink with him. But is that you okay? Think... That's not a news story. No, it's okay, but it's. Uh, I wonder because obviously there's a lot of speculation that he'll come back, and he's planning a speech in October and all this sort of bees yeah. Do you think he will? Do you think he still has political ambitions in Britain? I don't know. You have to. Ask, I mean, I'm, I know this is a kind of ridiculous answer. I genuinely don't know. Yeah, but you've got. His you have to right? ask him. I'll take his number afterwards. Let's ring him now. Put him on speakerphone. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. What, all right. What time is it in New York? Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, you managed to book a theatre in the basement where I've got no reception. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's better, it's better. We've got Wi Fi. We've got Wi Fi, we'll FaceTime him. <laughs> Have you got the. What's the. Um, can someone write down the, the Wi Fi code? Do you know what it is? <laughs> But when well, he, well, if he answers, back. just have it on the audience and not on, on, on you. you. Oh, just have it on everyone's. All right, okay. Okay, right, there's the Wi-Fi. <laughs> of all the people you could get me to phone, why him? Hang on, hang on. <laughs> have you got sweater on here? Yeah. Right. <laughs> 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 oh, I know, I know. 
fuck? No, I'm bugging you. Oh, come on. I, would, I don't know what... You've written Hello Pimlico. I mean, what is that? That's the best. You're going to put that in a telephone box later. <laughs> <laughs> is that, that's the code then? Yes, your, yes. Phone, your phone number at the bottom of it. <laughs> what is it you want me to do? So, Wi-Fi. Right. <laughs> Yeah, he just he, right. So this is going to be a really long show. Do we want to have an intermission? Uh, well, people had a break before you got out. Yeah, I've seen I've, I've seen your show before, so okay, I came so on time. And then you just type that in. What? Hello, Pimlico. <laughs> no, 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 the bit underneath. All right. Okay. So it's SJT. S J J. I don't get to. T- I don't spend much time with the elderly. This is uh, <laughs> three, seven, eight, nine. Right. Join. Join. <laughs> I did that once. That was from my life turned for the worst. Then come what do I do now? Hold on, hold on. Keep that up. Keep that up. Right, yeah. yeah, you do oh, it. Explain to it. Yeah, yeah. You do it. You do it, son. You do it, son. <laughs> right. Okay. So contacts. We need. To, we're on. We're now online. Ah, I'm gonna face on David. Totally cool about it. Totally cool. I'm going to go and set over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You and your mate can oh, have no, a chat. Where's your? Where's your? How do you get into? Oh, here we are. Contacts. Right. Here we are. What's he saying, does? Who sugar tits? FaceTime, right, here we go. Should we do, should we do, the, should we do the... Which do one? one? The American right. one? Yeah, the American one. Okay, let's click on. FaceTime, right, here we are. Right. right, OK, let's FaceTime. Can we get the house lights up so that everyone gets to see? Oh, <laughs> 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 This was all going so well. Oh, God. Can you this is your ambition, thing? isn't it? To FaceTime David <laughs> God, oh, answer it, answer it. <laughs> oh, come on. I know, I know. That oh. didn't work out so well. <laughs> yeah, the problem is... What are we going to do for the rest of the show? That was going to be happening. <laughs> we had arranged with David, or someone pretending to be David, You know, the worst thing the is, phone. The worst thing is, he'll have been in New York... His phone would have rang, he'd looked at it and gone, Murphy. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, now I want to see you one. <laughs> uh, not giving him a job. He can go to McDonald's. <laughs> so what, what of the Labour leadership candidates now? You, you, were, you were a David supporter last time. Who, yep. who are you backing this time? Dull answer. Undecided. Lagos. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Who did you who did you want me to go for? Well, I'm not going to vote undecided, right? I mean, that, <laughs> I mean, okay, I'm not voting for Jeremy Corbyn. So, okay. Is that that's okay, isn't it? I know the other three, and what I'm going to do, like instinctively, my politics are much closer to Liz's, Liz Kendall's politics. Of course they are. Okay. Um, three of you like that. <laughs> And you know, you know, uh, you'll like this fake Celtic Rangers <laughs> Her Twitter name is Lester Liz. <laughs> you should like that. But you don't, you, you don't, you're not even from Leicester. Are you? <laughs> I don't know if you're there. Um, so, so, so you say basically, what I'm going to, I'm going to hold off endorsing anyone because obviously, I'm not the most popular endorser. <laughs> oh, but that's not the reason, is it? No. No, politicians or ex-politicians are consumed by their vanity. 
So you, you want to think, my endorsement will tip the balance in favour of your candidate. I'm going to wait until I can see which of the three of them look most and sound most like a Prime Minister, rather than the Leader of the Opposition. Yeah, you might be waiting a while, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick of voting for folk who are going to be a good Leader of the Opposition. Mm. OK, there we are. Although I'm not sure I've voted for many of them. Because I voted for Tony Blair and that worked out OK. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't it just? <laughs> We're not phoning him. No, no, no. <laughs> yes! Fucking Blair, get him down No! Get him. I'm not doing that. A barber then, a barber, someone. <laughs> who, who could we. Who, who, ah, it's just constantly want to play with your phone. What about Ed Miliband? Yeah. Oh, that was fucking not a good idea. He's busy. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> Do you feel sorry for Ed? No, not really. <laughs> well, it didn't work. I don't feel sorry for myself. Yeah. The kind of politics is I kind of grown up, despite this. Politics is a kind of... <laughs> politics is a grown up business, and if you can't cope with complete kind of... If you can't, in my case, if you couldn't cope with absolute abject defeat, then you're in the wrong business. Um, and then for Ed... Look, it's hard. I mean, kind of a, a week, ten days beforehand, people are writing he's going to be the next Prime Minister. And then a week later, that's not happening. So, yeah, it's tough, but do I feel sorry for any political leader who loses? Absolutely not. You want sympathy, go and do something else. If you can't cope with losing, go do something else. No, no, I mean, not, and not an ounce of sympathy for myself, Ed, or any political leader who loses. But you must feel sad when you lose. You must still feel, oh, God, I thought I was going to at least keep a seat or something like that. Oh, no, I knew I was murdered. <laughs> um, but, no, you, of course you feel sad. Like, I won by accident. Right, I won back in 1997, and I see that Labour hadn't won since 1920s, and I didn't want to be an MP in that election. Like, yeah, you got that ambition. <laughs> 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 I didn't try to be an MP. I didn't campaign. I didn't hand out a leaflet. And Tony, it was Tony Blair versus Tony Blair versus John Major. You kind of a guy who was obsessed by traffic cones and tucked his shirt in his massive wife runs <laughs> versus this other guy. Um, and so I won off the back of Tony. I won in the back. Uh, what? All right. So obviously Edwina Curry. <laughs> Can I say they weren't that much? Um, and so I won off the back of that, and I won a few times afterwards. But no, I just. Genuinely, and it's, uh, I, this sounds, I hope you accept all my other stuff. I was being absolutely upfront, so I'm equally upfront about this. No, like, would you st rather stand there and win? Of course you would. And is it pretty tough congratulating the person who's just taken your job um, live on telly? Yeah, of course it is. But, oh, crikey. People lose their jobs every day. I guess the only pain I have a little bit is that the person who beat me didn't want to win. But then I know that feeling that I won when I didn't want to win. <laughs> Actually, I mean, if you follow politics closely or even partially, if you read a newspaper, um, and you go, of course, you would be, you'd be here if you didn't, because um, he's meant to be that type of comic. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Sorry, comedian. <laughs> You're not an illustrated magazine. Um, <laughs> Is that the candidate who beat me? She only stood to be the S she stood to be the SNP candidate against me because she wanted to be a councillor in two years, and standing to be the candidate and getting her name on loads of leaflets was a way of raising her profile so that she could fulfil her ambition of being a councillor in two years. Now, being a councillor is a it's a good job, yeah. 
but it's unusual to start with being an MP and, <laughs> and work your way up to being a councillor. And it's ironic, because you'll probably have to see a councillor in about two years. <laughs> <laughs> this is therapy. Is it What's helping? It? No. Is <laughs> <laughs> it hell? I just, it just seems... Is it, it helping you? But it almost seems... Oh, yeah. It just seems slightly well, bizarre that... It meant whoever cancelled, didn't, you didn't have to punish them too much. You got someone to fill in. But I just, I just wonder, I just wonder about um, how chipper you are. Like, do you, do you not, what when you that? get home... Why are you laughing now? <laughs> when you privately, you know, when you get home, do you sort of reflect? Do you not feel any sadness whatsoever? Any... Or what about regret? Do you feel any regret? Hmm. Yeah, you get loads of regrets. Um, I think everyone in life's got regrets every day, surely. Mm. I mean, phoning, phoning David Miliband when he was in Syria, trying to save refugees ten minutes ago is one of your regrets. <laughs> like, I'm assuming. Oh, wow. I'll phone him later and find out what was more important than taking my call, your call via me. <laughs> uh, yeah, you have loads of regrets, but I'm not going to... I'm not going to go into that. I'll put, save that for the book. What, or just give us one. <laughs> Taking your call last. <laughs> um, not making enough change early enough. One of the, one of the lessons that um, you learn from Cameron and Osborne is they won power and they made massive change in the first two years. Massive change. Massive disruptive restructuring change. Got it all out of the way in time for an election. People had forgot the bruise. Some of the bruises had healed. Whereas we started our first two years, I mean, the Labour government in 1997-1999 made real, real substantial changes. The minimum wage, what really had in peace in Northern Ireland, introduced this blessing of the Scottish Parliament that's turned out so well for the Labour Party. <laughs> um, but in some senses, we started quite slow. We did all those big things, but structurally in public sector, dull answer warning, OK, um, but structurally in public service reform-wise, we started far too slowly. And no politician has ever got to the end of their life and thought, I wish I had taken fewer decisions. And that's probably one of them. Now that I've finished in politics, that's my regret. I've got loads of other ones that are more newsworthy. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, I was going to say one there. What the hell was that? That was a, that was a monster called John McTernan, <laughs> who was my chief of staff, or is my chief of staff. John, now that I don't have a job, I don't know how you can still be my chief of staff, but that's a, kind of, that's a constitutional anom anomaly. <laughs> so, sorry? <laughs> okay. <that's good. laughs> Didn't sound happy about it. Still get paid. Okay. Yeah, but being chief of staff to a guy who doesn't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> He's more senior than you. <laughs> Everybody is. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow 
wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. <laughs> but when you reflect on like, the Scottish... I mean, it must be bizarre to... When you took the Scottish Labour leader yeah. job, it was obviously already in a difficult position yeah. post-referendum. It so was, Labour yeah. were already facing a, a huge mountain to climb in Scotland. Did the scale of the task... Was it immediately clear to you when you first became leader? Did you, did you take it thinking, this might actually cost me my job? No, because I, I knew that if I didn't take it, I would, it would, I would definitely have lost my job. Um, the Labour Party in Scotland, I know a couple of folk from Glasgow and the guy over there. <laughs> <laughs> Even uh, the Labour Party was in such doldrums and had in Scotland that when the vacancy came up, it would have been irresponsible not to go for it. Um, so no, I don't. Reg- I don't regret that at all. This is getting kind of all psychoanalytical. So I'll come on. To, I'll try and tell some jokes instead. Is oh no, be okay? psychoanalytical. That's fine. No, you can be serious. Hello. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, right, okay. And they'll stay. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the Labour Party in Scotland hadn't been strong enough for years. Um, we sometimes took Scotland for granted. And here's my take on what happened, but then it's only a, a reflection is that Scotland became more focused on the politics of cultural identity um, and kind of being Scottish first. The politics of class and the politics of left versus right became relatively peripheral. The Scottish Labour Party was still arguing a class-based politics, North and South solidarity, uh, tax and redistribution, when it was more about flags and symbols. And we got run over, we got, we got run over by that. And all I would say to the folk of England is be wary um, of UKIP. There's no direct parallel between the SNP and UKIP. That would be embarrassingly stupid to make that parallel. Um, but the idea that a referendum kills an issue... Like, I mean, <laughs> the last time I checked, the SNP lost the referendum, but they've spent six or months or more, actually, t- what, <laughs> ten months, bless you. They've spent, they spent ten... I can do two things at once. Eh? They can, I can meander and say that. Um, they spent ten months celebrating their defeat. The Labour, so the, the SNP lost the referendum and had a plan for defeat. David Cameron was part of the winning team and had a plan for the victory. English votes for English laws, which is such a, a fantastically irresponsible thing to have done the day after the referendum. Because he had the plan, and sorry for any of you, well, I'm not sorry, because I know loads of decent Conservatives who share this view, um, is that he had a plan during the referendum to change the constitutional arrangements for who can vote in the House of Commons. He just decided not to share it with anyone during the referendum. And at two o'clock in the morning, Michael Gove went on telly and said, tomorrow morning, the Prime Minister, two o'clock in the morning on referendum night, Michael Gove announced the Prime Minister was having an event at Chequers for various headbangers in the Tory party, um, John Redwood, Bill Cash and others, where he was going to announce this English votes for English laws, Malarkey. At which point Scotland says, you lied to us. You had a secret plan and you lied to us. And it enabled this kind of grudge and grievance mentality to be to fester and grow. And that whole thing, that kind of two o'clock in the morning gig on referendum night is the moment where I knew we were knackered. Because I just knew that the, kind of, the sentiment of nationalism would be kind of turbocharged, and that's how it proved. But it didn't stop me wanting to do the job, because I love the Labour Party and I love my country. But was there not still space for Labour to say, well, actually, that's a... Tory Prime Minister and we're separate from this guy and 
we took him at good faith. Uh-huh. Uh, and we're just as annoyed as you are about this. Because well, it's ironic from his point of view, isn't it? On the one hand, he says he wants the union. He, he keeps the union and then says, actually, I'm now going to bring in a policy that, that affects... David Cameron cares. Like, every politician has a degree of self-interest, right? And there's no politician... You can make an exception, I'm sure, for, for a tiny number of politicians. Nelson Mandela and a tiny number of others. And then the politicians that you've never heard of, the ones who get no publicity and who do, do things, you can phone in at night time because your bin's not been collected. They want nothing. They get nothing. So those people aren't self-interested. But the ones who make it to Parliament, every single parliamentarian has a degree of self-interest. Every single one. Of all parties. Um, so... Uh, where was I going before I had a shot at politicians? Well, in English versus English laws and Cameron. Oh, yeah, Cameron. Cameron cares more about himself than any other issue. I mean, more in a way that no other politician I know, genuinely. Because he was willing to lose Scotland second time round in return for establishing himself inside the Tory party. And he was willing to play footsie with UKIP on a, second, on a European referendum. And England and Scotland's union, the union of the United Kingdom is less important to David Cameron than his longevity in the Tory party leadership. Um, and the union of Europe is less important to him than stability inside the Tory party. I mean, Churchill used to say that you, his definition of an appeaser was someone who fed the crocodile in, in the hope that it would devour him last. And Ch Cameron should learn from Churchill. Um, because Cameron, first of all, he ain't no Winston Churchill, of course. Um, but you don't, you don't defeat any form of nationalism by pandering to it or feeding it. And that's what he's done with UKIP and English nationalism. So and this referendum on Europe, when it comes, the referendum for the next... The campaign for the second referendum on Europe will start as the result is declared. Except if we leave, and that's it, permanent. But when you talk about pandering to nationalism, there's a difference in between pandering to nationalism and recognising uh, maybe a need for devolution. So would you not say that Blair's devolution actually started it? Okay, we've got in a, this kind of has gone from an attempt at comedy to a discussion about Tony Blair's devolution, yeah. and you're still here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think that what did we do? The, the Scottish Labour Party and the Labour Party generally, and this kind of politics of flags and symbols and emotion, we didn't respond to it properly. Instead of arguing against nationalism, and the parties in England, the British parties, and how they deal with UKIP in England. Um, are doing something pretty similar to what the Labour Party did to the SNP for a quarter of a century. Rather than saying, here's the intellectual and political... Is vapidity a word? It is now. Is that a word, John? It is, yeah. Chief of Staff, see? <laughs> you wonder why he's still being pitied. <laughs> he is my mobile thesaurus. <laughs> You'd do well in music count, then. Anyway, um, instead of kind of answering the kind of intellectual kind of vacu vacuousness or vacuousity, John? Uh, All right, let's um, just stop conjugating words. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, instead of arguing against nationalism, yeah. as the whole thing grew, we said to Scotland, don't vote SNP because you'll let the Tories in. And so we didn't convince them and we didn't retain their affection, we just borrowed their votes. And the thing grew and grew and grew to such a point where Scott said, we don't have to vote Labour now to stop the Tories. We can vote SNP because you've said you won't let the Tories in, nice people at the SNP. And in England, Labour said, don't vote UKIP because you'll let Cameron in. And the Tories said, don't vote UKIP because you'll let Miliband in. 
How about don't vote UKIP because it's packed full of headbangers. <laughs> <laughs> and its policies will be a disaster for the country that we love. I would and love to have seen Miliband say that. <laughs> Hell yeah, that would have been okay. Uh, uh, don't vote UKIP, uh, uh, it's full of headbangers. <laughs> Genuinely, you're getting no better at that. Oh, up yours. But that's a compliment, because it's unimprovable. You right? tried that at the Edinburgh Festival. <laughs> and what about your uh, Andy Burnham impersonation? Have you got that off there? Well, I've taken the mascara off, so it's not quite... Well, that's Kendall. She breathes heavy a lot, doesn't she? I don't know. Well, I, don't, I mean... Put... <laughs> <laughs> Gentleman never tells. Yeah, she sort of breathes heavy. You're deflecting her anyway. We're talking I, about. Oh, we're talking about. How you got, if I try David again, will you f put your Ed Miliband voice on and see how whether he says it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Anyway, what was I deflecting from? I forgot. You're deflecting from um, to how to campaign against the nationalists. Oh yeah, sorry, UKIP. I just think you tell the truth, and the public always get elections right. Oh, I'm back to this thing about them never being wrong. The, it's a remarkable thing about our country, and I mean our country, the UK. You can look back at every election and, well, some people are passionate Labour, some people are passionately Tory, and some people are undecided. Um, but together, the aggregate view is all, you can always work out why they get it. You can see why they think, you can rationalise it and say, you know what, you can understand why they went there. It hurts. And as a Labour kind of member, I say politician, I'm not. As a Labour Party member, it, it hurts and you think, Arr! but you look back at every election and the aggregate view of the public, while it's painful in the short term, is usually right. But when you talk about so how... When you kept, so what you do is you just tell yeah. the truth. And say, like, here's why it's a crazy idea to leave the European Union. And you don't make it... Kind of another kind of boring answer earlier. And you don't just say, oh, well, there's three million jobs, because you can have that and still be in a common market. It's about a kind of post-empire, equal member of the Commonwealth way of getting the a way of getting your way in the world. It's a way of kind of shaping influence and all that sort of malarkey. I know it's a more technical word than malarkey, but that's the old way I used to speak the kind of more technical stuff. But just tell the truth, and the public will accept it and respond to it. Treat the public as adults, and they'll vote like adults. Treat them with kind of pointless sound bites. If you vote for this one, you'll get that one. If you vote for that one, you'll get this one. You get what you deserve when you do that. And you just, I, I, the, the, the thing builds. And before it's too late, you kept her too strong. And then we're all in trouble. Have you not been guilty of that yourself, though, in Probably. campaigning against the SNP and that sort of Yeah, way? absolutely. And it was and wrong, so, and it was a mistake. But do you... So definitely. But when you're doing that at the time, do you sort of realise that it's wrong, or you just... Is that something that's agreed centrally? Is that something that the, the party in Westminster would have said... This is the line to take. Well, it's got an element of truth in it. So you argue the truth, but the public have got a stronger truth. So I... Th I, I, I you just I, said it wasn't the truth. What do you mean? <laughs> well, it's got an element of truth. If you vote... <laughs> the, argument, the argument was, if it's close in England, between Labour and, Labour and the Tories, every Labour MP in Scotland can get the Labour Party over the line across the UK and form a government. So there was a... We were making a rational, objective, arithmetic-based argument. And they were just saying, if you love Scotland, vote for us. And if you love Scotland, vote for us. It's a much more powerful argument than some def explanation of how you get to a majority government under a first-past-the-post system in a United Kingdom election. It just is. 
So in future then, what's, how, does, how does Labour in Scotland campaign against the SNP? I don't know. <coughs> you, must have a, you must have some other view on it. I do. More successfully, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm going to, I'll watch it on telly. And I'll read it on my, now that you've connected me to that thing called the Wi-Fi. <laughs> I'll read it on, on my phone. Yeah, pop down there whenever you want to use the Wi-Fi. <laughs> Get a lovely cup of tea and <laughs> chill out down there. But do you not, because there's a lot of people in the party saying it should be now a federal party. Mm -hmm. And that, that Scottish Labour should almost become sort of like an independent I party. Think, so. I think stupid people are make a stupid argument, and that's one of them. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Oh. Chief of My Staff. Chief of Staff. <laughs> <laughs> Mobile audience. <laughs> clapometer. Um, I think that having voted to stay part of the UK in the referendum, right? Why would you then, having won the referendum but lost an election, then voluntarily? vote to become an independent party separated from the rest of the UK. There's no intellectual consistency at all in it. And Does that something that won't happen? That's absolutely true. That's definitely true. <laughs> but I just, I, my concern is that a lot of politicians are weak. And it's just sometimes... <laughs> but sometimes politicians just want the pain to end. And I've worked for various ones. Uh -huh. And sometimes, even when they really believe in something, they just cannot take the pressure anymore and they can't take the deafening noise of the public who completely disagree It's difficult, them. because you come up against deadlines that, that create false pressure points. So there's always a kind of half past ten midweek deadline, which is news night. Because you can get your way through the ten o'clock news. I'm sorry. You can get your way through the ten o'clock news, the six o'clock news. Politicians never watch those things, so only real people watch them. And you can get your way through them. But it's once you're stuck in news night and you've got to get through seven or eight minutes, it creates a deadline and you kind of... That's the point at which I think I have to change tact, change approach. And then there's always been a traditional, not always, but since you had PMQs once a week, you've got a traditional 12 o'clock on a Wednesday deadline, mm. where if people are going to... The most dangerous time for any minister to be in trouble is a Wednesday morning. A Wednesday morning. Because what happens is the Prime Minister, of all political parties, and I've seen it happen in mine, I've seen it kind of embarrassingly once, um, I was on the TV, I was in the radio studio, Radio 5 Live, and I had been briefed that Wednesday morning, stick with them, it's going to be fine. This minister, this cabinet minister, and I'm not going to name them. Right? Oh, come on. Uh, okay. this, this what year was it? It wasn't the first time this person had resigned from the cabinet. Or, <laughs> okay, that's narrowed it down. Peter Mandelson. Mandelson. That would be naming names. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you about that in a second. I've got something about that. I'll try and come back to that. If I had a notepad, I would write it down. I'll remember, don't we? What were we talking about? Oh, oh, uh, <laughs> Wednesday, Wednesday morning, uh, so I was in the, the radio studio and they said, I'd been briefed by the Labour Party saying, look, we're sticking with this guy. Nothing's changing. And uh, I was like, there's no way you resign. Nothing's, nothing to see here. Move along. And uh, just before Prime Minister's questions, about a minute to 12, with some breaking news, live from Westminster. This unnamed cabinet minister has resigned. Now, Wednesday at 12 was deadly for a, any, politi any politician because look, mo anything that breaks Monday, Tuesday, number 10's got time to investigate it, get to the bottom of it. They can be, they will never be relaxed, but they've got, there's less of a pressure point. 10 o'clock on a Wednesday morning, if something breaks, it's I am not going to PMQs with this over my head. So you're either cleared or you're gone. And there's a genuine unfairness about it. But it gets back to your point about, I wouldn't quite call it panic, but it's news management. So you're always, 
Wednesday morning, you'd always, if you were ever in trouble, my advice to any politician would be keep your mobile phone off. Because <laughs> you can't be sacked unless you've been contacted. Right? So, <laughs> I don't know how that'll work for you and your job. <laughs> Just turn your phone off because you cannot, genuinely, you can't be sacked. I mean, there's some. But is this the etiquette. most experience have you been through this yourself? Have I been sacked that way? I got Tony Blair once gave me two jobs on a reshuffle day. He phoned me in the morning and gave me a job and then phoned me a couple of hours later and gave me a different job. And I, I was young at the time. I didn't have the guts to say, excuse me, Prime Minister, you've given me two jobs in your government. <laughs> um, there was one person who... Tony Blair used to do his reshuffles by little bits of paper. So they would move them around, which is quite sensible. Yeah. They kind of move... Like, kind of move names around. And it's a kind of prolonged process... Um, and they got to the end of it and said, that's it, that's locked. Not changing it, we've went through this for hours. And then as they get up, there was someone's name, a little bit of paper, who had been a government minister, had dropped under the table. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how she got sacked. Because they said, and she was doing a really good job. <laughs> and they says, we're not going to start it all over again. Um, and there's another one where... Um, so who was that? I'm not telling you. Um, and so that was under Blair then? I'm not telling yeah. So um, yeah. And there's another one, there's another one where I'm... Cabinet Minister or Jamie? There's a friend of mine, there's a friend of mine, there's a friend of mine called um, Brian Donohoe, another MP who lost um, last month, who, I mean, he is a kind of good, hard-working, solid, decent man who'd never expected to be in... So still trying to figure out who it was. That's <laughs> right, no worry. You won't get there. Um, good, decent, solid working class. Barbara Follett. Decent man. <laughs> You're just going to name every woman, aren't you, that you know who's in politics? Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. um, um, did she breathe heavily? Did she breathe heavily? I'm not, <laughs> I thought it was about my asthma. Um, I, anyway, this guy Donohoe, Brian Donohoe, this, I'll get to this story and I'll, yeah. and I'll come back to your, your Peter Manderson reference, which I didn't confirm. Um, Brian Donohoe is... So he never expected to be a government minister. Never, never expected to be a government Sally minister. Sally Cable. I have no idea. <laughs> he never, ever expected to be a government minister, right? And his phone rang on... I think it was Tony Blair's first time as forming a government. Right? And this guy never... I mean, he's a lovely man. I'm not belittling him at all. He's a friend of mine. But his phone rang and said, would you hold for the Prime Minister? Um, and the first time that happened to me, I said, aye, right. Which I thought it was someone was taking the piss. And the Glaswegians don't know why, right? It means bugger, bugger off. <laughs> right? But I, the, the down the switchboard took that as yes. <laughs> I just thought it was my mates winding me up. But anyway, this guy, Donohoe, got the call and he was like, of course. And so they went through the thing and they were making him the policing minister, um, which was an important, an important, a really important job. So I'm going to make the policing minister. I need you to do this, need you to do that, need you to do the other. And. Um, and they said, that's fine, of course, Prime Minister, I'd love to do that job. Really, really, really appreciate you giving me a job in your first government. Uh, do you mind if I ask you one question? Which is kind of fatal in a reshuffle, because one thing you never get given in a reshuffle is any instruction. Right? I don't know what job you all do, right, but your boss kind of says, and I'd like you to do this. In reshuffle day, they just say, we'd like you to do that. And there's no relevance at all to any experience you've ever had in life. I mean, the only job I was... A, I was qualified to be the Minister for Unemployment employment and Welfare because when I was young I was unemployed. So I'd been in a now you're older you are as well. So it's hey! <laughs> and I was, I was qualified, comes to us all. Um, 
and I was qualified to be the Secretary of State for Scotland just because that's where I was born. But otherwise, you never get given. Prime Minister never says, I want you to do this job, and there's never a because. Because you're never the health minister because you were a doctor or a nurse. Or, and the second thing there's never is, I would like you to do this. This is what I'd like you to achieve. It's, Jim, I'd like you to do that. Okay, yeah. And then three years later, Jim, I'd like you to do that. For the same <laughs> Prime Minister. And you have, yeah, okay. I didn't even ask him which one. Um, I just picked and started doing that one. I don't know who did the other I still don't know who did the other one. Um, I don't know if they ever filled it. Anyway, this guy Donahoe. This is like Dave Allen. Anyway, this guy Donahoe said, mind if I just ask you one, one question, Prime Minister? And they said, yeah. They said, I'm really surprised because this is the first time you've ever spoken to me and I never thought you liked me. <laughs> and Brian Donahoe MP said that to him and Tony Blair said, hmm, that is Lord Donahoe. <laughs> from the House of Lords, isn't it? <laughs> and he said, no, it's Brian Donahoe, <laughs> Member of Parliament. And Tony Blair said, I'll get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> I never, ever did. I didn't, he didn't even get to sign the paper. He didn't get the kind of job as a minister. Anyway, Peter Mandelson. Yeah. And I'll, finish, I'll shut up after this. Well, we'll we'll ask questions to the audience. Is, is, that, that, is that what's going to happen? Is that, oh, yeah. yeah. All right. I'll save my Peter Mandelson story. Yeah, we'll, we'll end on the Mandelson story. As a way of yeah. getting out of an embarrassing question. The great big finish. So uh, we'll, we'll get the house up. Like it's not that good. It'd be funny, though, wouldn't it? I'll try. Okay. Well, it's uh, certainly funnier than Tony Blair's devolution plans that you got us to <laughs> 10 minutes. Yeah, but we have to be a bit serious. Okay, so um, indicate clearly I'll come to as many as possible. Uh, if I can ask for uh, succinct questions, and please, uh, for the first time tonight as well, Jim, succinct answers uh, would, be, uh, <laughs> would be nice. No, oh, no meandering. Uh, and, um, you told me to talk and talk and talk. That was, what you, that was the brief you gave me. The guy hadn't turned up, you just keep speaking. That's not what I said. Um, now, uh, right, so we, I think we've got a microphone. We? Tristan's going to come around with the microphone. Uh, so, yes, the lady right next to you, which is the easiest one to do. If you let us know your name. Oh, go on, will you call... Uh, fantastic, I've really enjoyed everything you've got to say. Will you call David Miliband again? Do <laughs> you think I'm a circus act? <laughs> I will phone him again, but not tonight. <laughs> Well, I'll do it at the end, OK? And you OK, we'll do it at the end. You and I can talk to him, just the two of us. All right. Or just no. you. You can phone him. I'll, well, you can't phone him. I'll phone him. And you can talk to him. Give me, give me your phone number. <laughs> <laughs> do you know, a woman in a club saying, give me your phone. <laughs> the answer's no. OK. Um, but no. we could try Miliband maybe at the end. We could. We'll yeah, get that we'll, we'll end up Miliband. We'll end up Miliband. Right. right, OK, so... Um, Let's do a few over there. Yes, the chat by the bar with the... This has uh, obviously gone well. The high point's going to be an unanswered call. <laughs> <laughs> well, how would your comedy gig, Jim? Really well. It went so well, he kept phoning an, un an unattainable number. Yeah. On loudspeaker. Do, uh, do you think there ever came a point of no return for Scottish Labour? I mean, was it the referendum? Or do you have to go back a bit further? Do you have to go back to Wendy Alexander? Do you have to go back to Don Dewar, sadly passing away? Is it a... Was it just a final moment of the electorate giving up? Or was it a moment of just, um, you know, a, a bright spark, just sort of losing the whole train, so to speak? There's loads of things, and that's a, there's a thesis in that, and I've had two people ask me to write a book about it, neither of which I'm going to do. 
Because I just think these kiss and tell, I was at a meeting and... Kiss and tell? What happened? <laughs> kiss me and I'll tell you. <laughs> I don't back down, so you want to watch it. Fine. I'm a proud man. Are you? It's up to you, mate. Here I am. <laughs> I don't know, I don't... Yeah, well, fuck it, whatever, man. <laughs> There you go. Uh, I don't Shall back I? down. I can't kiss you, can I? All right, fuck it. I'd rather, you didn't. <laughs> uh, I'd rather you didn't. I'd rather you didn't. I don't know what. I don't know. I don't know. Hold on. This is this is dreadful for my ego. I'm out of work, <laughs> and an ugly bastard like you won't kiss me. <laughs> So, uh, the problem is that there's no way to win now, is there? Either I kiss no. you and I have kissed you and that's a bad thing, or, or well, I don't kiss you and I look like I've... It's only a bad thing if you don't use your tongue. Let's <laughs> 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 have a referendum on it. No, you, have, you don't back down. Anyway, what was your question? <laughs> oh, I... So, I just... Uh, to... <laughs> You're in the wrong, whatever your job, you're uh, in the wrong No, no, it was just, um, was there a moment like the referendum that sort of marked the end of, you know, Scottish Labour as, you know, the the dominant party in Scotland? Uh, Or was it a more long-term thing like, you know, Don Dewey passing away, Wendy Alexander having her referendum call sort of vetoed by Mr Brown? Okay, Um, I think Wendy was right. Um, it would have made more sense for Labour to have a high called a referendum. Get it? It would never be dealt with. But I would rather we were the yes people. Do you want Scotland to remain part of the United Kingdom? Yes. Kind of making a positive case for something rather than going round trudging round the country with two iron brew crates, making speeches in favour of no and and, oca- and occasionally sounding like an Ulster Unionist. With no disrespect to, <laughs> to any, any Ulster Unionist. Sounding like Ian Paisley, the late Ian Paisley Senior. Um, that, was never my, that was never my gig. But loads of different things happened. But the kind of final thing was, in my opinion, was you had the SNP saying, vote SNP and we'll lock out the Tories. And you had the Tories saying, vote SNP telling the people, sorry, with the Tories in England saying vote Labour and you'll get the SNP. So I kind of, the SNP lost, obviously won seats massively in Scotland against Labour and lost the seats in England. But that was the kind of proof point. Um, there's kind of loads of other things that built up. I think it was a quarter of a century in the making. And if I had my time again in politics, I would have done almost everything different on that argument and made an intellectual, not a kind of, I don't mean kind of abstract, kind of how clever am I type intellectual nonsense, but just a kind of grown-up argument against nationalism. <laughs> and that would have kept nationalism where it was, which was on the periphery. But we let, it, we let it in and didn't argue against it. OK, any questions from this side of the room? Yes, the gentleman right in the middle, if we can try and get, if someone could pass the microphone across. How do you find the SNP now, where whose politi- politics are based on faith and not fact? True. So I don't want to be in any way disrespectful to faith, but I don't believe, in, and I'm not in favour. I'm not in favour of an established church. Mm-hmm. My personal view. Um, 
Salmon Diz. Yes. <laughs> salmon Diz. Oh, really sinister the way you said it. <laughs> salmon Diz what? He likes himself. But, you're talking, right, about, but right. you're talking about faith as in the church, or are you talking about faith well, I just as supporters? Mean, I just mean with the S&P, no matter what you say, you'll say, you'll say Europe, you'll say the pound, you'll say whatever, and whatever it comes down to, it, no, I'll be fine. I believe in it. I believe in a free, independent Scotland. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what you say. No matter what fact you throw at mm-hmm. them, they believe in their cause. I think the only, t- the only thing that will change that is persistence. Persistence of argument, reasonableness of argument. You don't shout back at them. Um, and time. And that sounds a strange thing for an ex-politician. It's certainly not something that a politician would say, but as an ex-politician, I'm okay to say it's time. But time's the thing that's the rarest commodity in politics. It's all about news cycles and, and I was going to say tomorrow, but it's not. It's about the staff. It used to be when I started in politics, it was all about tomorrow, whereas when I ended in politics, it was all about the next ten minutes. So time's the one thing politicians just do not have. But that's the, cute, that's the kind of way of dealing with it. Persistent thorough, thoughtful, over time. But you, are you both not in danger of um, treating the SNP differently to any other political party? I mean, you could say the same of, of the Labour Party, couldn't you, that despite the facts in front of it, the Labour Party has pursued a particular direction that has, has led it to electoral oblivion, and a lot of people would say that the Tory party simply won't listen to reason on things like Europe. Mm-hmm. It's yep. not something exclusive to the SNP. No, it's not, but it was, exclu- it was really prominent in the election campaign that we just had in and, and ever-present in the referendum campaign that we had, where people say, I don't care. I don't believe you. But it's just true. So the president of the European Commission can say you'd have to reapply to join the European Union. No, he's talking Scotland down. And it's a bit, he knows more about Europe. No, I like Salmon knows more about Europe. And when the, when the, um, when the Spanish government said we would, we would look... Without, I'm not, I haven't got this exactly right, but the gist of the quote was um, we, would, we would look sceptically upon Scotland being allowed back into the EU because Spain's got its own issues. Spain's got its own issues, of course, in, um, in terms of Catalonia and elsewhere. They said, nah, don't believe him. He's talking Scotland down. Um, and every, Barack Obama said his thing. No, they're just talking Scotland down. Um, and we know more about... And it became a thing about... They know more about American foreign policy than the President of America. And I think that is a real talent. <laughs> that might have been true with the last President. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is there not a danger, though, sometimes? Possibly that if, but, when, but if you're fighting something that is inherently an, an anti-establishment, if all you do is wheel out the establishment, you just reinforce the yeah, anti-establishment. The pecu- but this is the peculiar thing. They were both the insurgent and the incumbent. They are the establishment now. They've been in power for eight years. Um, they're both anti-establishment and the, the kind of established government party in Scotland. They're incumbent and they're insurgent. They are all... It's a kind of... Here are, here, are my, here are my principles. You don't like them? I've got some others. And it's a sense of... How do you win votes in the poorest parts of, of Glasgow? Um, where people are desperate for genuine redistribution of wealth and win votes on the same day in rural Perthshire, where the argument for significant redistribution of wealth might not be as popular. It's nationalism. It is unencumbered by a, a kind of economic anchor. It's, it's, you've got to admire it at one level, and it's kind of its degree of flexibility. 
But, I, I mean, I don't. It's not my politics. Can I? If you but, don't like that, I can tell you something. I can tell you the opposite if you don't like it. No, no, no but isn't no, it? No, that's not me saying you. That's them yeah. saying to the voters. I can tell you that. I can tell you the opposite. <laughs> but I can, it, I can be for LGBT equality, or some of that, um, and I'm funded by the guy who led the campaign against the repeal of Section 28, Brian Souter, the head of Stagecoach, the bus company. I mean, there's a massive contradiction there. But when you talk about appealing to, you know, impoverished people in Glasgow and people in rural Perthshire. As a Blairite, isn't there an irony there? Because effectively, as big tent politics, you know, a lot of people would say the Labour Party also has to do the same. Mm -hmm. Appeal to people in Tory shires and appeal but to not people by, in... But not by making the op opposite arguments simultaneously. I think the appeal of New Labour was, this is what, it's my view, and I'm comfortable um, being New Labour. I, mean, I don't see why, what the attraction in being losing Labour is. Um, oh, you'd be amazed. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. It's, it's an easier type of politics because you don't have to make any big decisions, but it's bloody shit for the people that you you think you come into politics to help. No disrespect. I mean, I know you can, you're not all here from the Labour Party. I know that, so I'm not trying to make a... I'm not trying to persuade you of my argument in terms of Labour versus Tory. I'm just trying to reflect that it is... Opposition is easier, but it's genuinely goddamn awful. Oh, awful. Awful. And I was lucky. I got 13 years in government before I had five years in opposition. And there's a, uh, what's the, there was an Israeli politician. Um, Here we go again. No, who just said that when he was asked what's the difference between being in government and opposition? Oh, what you meant, Bill? Oh, just meandering. Oh, meander. But Israeli politician said, what's the difference between government and opposition? And in, in government, you get up in the morning and say, what am I going to do today? And in opposition, you get up and say, what am I going to say today? And that's it. And you don't go into politics just to speak all on. And you don't come out of politics just as people I'm doing that as well. Anyway, I'll shut up. So what was the question? Something about faith. Um, faith. Okay, any more questions? Yes, the gentleman at the back there. Hi. Um, you said the reason that you lost was nationalism purely. After the election, most of the Labour MPs in Scotland and in England were saying that you didn't get across your aspirational message. Mm -hmm. Would you not agree that the SNP got theirs across much better than you? Um... It's a different type of aspiration, I think. Um, so the, sh the short version of this is their aspiration was uh, kind of with the kind of constitutional liberation and freedom, many of the evils and injustices would be solved. That was their argument, independence. I disagree. That, what, that, you disagree I that was their I argument? I don't think that was their argument. That I is their argument. They are nationalists. They're in favour of independence. I'm just trying to say that that's their view of the world. They're in favour of independence as a way of solving problems. I saw about. I'll shut up. When you go, sorry. No, no, no. After you. No, no. You go first. I'm... <laughs> Please go first. I would just say. I would just say that I don't think the nationalist issue was why many voters voted for the SNP, especially no voters. They voted for the SNP in this election. Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of them came across because they were standing up for things that Labour traditionally stood up for in the past, left-wing issues, which didn't seem to be coming across. They also stood up for aspirational for the middle classes, which didn't seem to be coming across from a Labour point of view. Okay. Um, and behind that, I mean, I'll deal with the, the aspiration middle class thing in a second, because I think you're right about the weakness of our, our offer for the middle class. But the, the SNP, take... take Take nothing else from me this evening and just when you go home say, what an arsehole. Um, but please take one thing from me if you can. The SNP are not a left-wing political party. And, and by any genuine judgment, they've got lovely, I mean, genuinely fantastic rhetoric about it. 
but on any judgment, look at what happened in. I mean, just none of you will, have, not all of you will have followed this, but they've been in power for eight years. The education of the poorest kids in Scotland has gone backwards, dramatically, I mean, genuinely, dramatically, not not marginally, not. Um, on the periphery, not just in some places, but the poorest kids in Scotland are getting a worse education. Now, these kids have been in school their entire life under an SNP government. And it's a kind of sense of, oh, well, we've got to do better. No, it's not a kind of shrug your shoulders, got to do better. These kids' lives are not... They're, they're coping with the poverty of geography and where they live. And one of the schemes that I grew up in. They have carbon to cope with that. And how do they escape it? by being inspired at school and getting a kind of fork in the road that changes their lives. And these kids are getting a worse education and doing far less better than they were under a Labour government. Take anything you want about the SNP. Believe almost anything else about them. But please, genuinely, folks, at no point fall for the myth or their wishful thinking that they are a left-wing political party. They are not. They are whatever it takes to become independent. And that doesn't get you anchored as a left-wing party. It makes you fleet of foot. In terms of your point where I think you're right, our manifesto in Scotland had a huge amount to say to folk who were poor, homeless or hungry. Loads, loads, loads. And had a lot to say about those who were financially very successful. Mostly that we would tax them more. And there's a big chunk of voters in the middle who... It appeared that we were relatively silent about, and we just didn't. We didn't have enough of. We did not have enough of an offer for the middle class, north or south of the border. On that, you're absolutely right. Okay. Next question: Is there anyone on the balcony that likes to ask a question? If so, shout. Cause the, yes. Just yell it down if that's all right. Sorry if we get all serious there about uh, the school thing. Should we have tossed out Ed Miliband a couple of years ago? Well, that's fairly obvious. Uh, and uh, <laughs> should, we have, should we have the ability to toss out the new one? What's your answer to the second thing? Uh, well, I think if they're bad enough, they will face a leadership challenge. I think the Labour Party's learned its lesson over the past uh, last two, the Gordon Brown period and the Ed Miliband period. We are, one of the things about the Labour Party that is quite endearing is we are really quite sentimental. Spiders. Starts with an S, but it's a different <laughs> word, with a different meaning. Um, but we're quite sentimental, and for all the kind of brutality of our inter-Nissan politics, where the kind of you're arguing against one another, we are, apart, only on one occasion in our history have we been genuinely ruthless. When the trade unions actually get rid of the Labour Party leader, who should have got rid of, because they kind of opposed the rearmament in the face of growing fascism in continental Europe. Um, that's the only occasion where the Labour Party has actually been ruthless enough. Um, but I think we've probably learned from the kind of fluctuation in recent times that whoever becomes the leader, and what a bloody hard job that is. I mean, a genuine bloody hard job. Um, I think they will face a different mindset in the Labour Party now, which says, if you're not cutting it, you're out. Personally, I don't like that. I, don't, I certainly don't like the idea that there's a... There's a date by which, if you're not ahead in the polls, that they'll do you in. Because what that does is stop you, in my view, would stop you talking to the public and would make you only talk to the MPs. Because the only people who can get rid of you are the MPs. 
who write in a letter, sign up to their names to a no-confidence thing, but it would lead to you spending an awful lot of time in the House of Commons bars, buying MPs a drink, to asking them about how their village fete went the weekend, and finding it really fascinating, as they tell you about the tombola um, that happened at the weekend in their constituency um, events. That's not what you want from a Labour leader. We need a Labour leader. Actually, as I said right at the beginning, I'm going to vote for the person who most talks like they want to be and are convinced enough that they're going to be a Prime Minister. And you don't do that if there's an inbuilt instability of a trigger ballot halfway through your period. It's, I think it's a crazy idea. But I do accept there'll be a short... There'll be a, patience, will be, patience will be shorter this time round. But do you think Ed should have been dispatched? No, no, it was. We all were. But I don't think so. No, you don't think Labour could have won without him? With someone else? Who? You? I, I, that worked out well. <laughs> well. It might have been different nationally, though, do you think? I don't know. Um, like, I, want, I, was David, I wanted David to be the leader. Of course I did. And who knows? What, like, there's, a, there's a thing which is built up, which is that we voted for the wrong brother and it all turned to shit. Right. Yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the Labour Party has never won. It's not, it's not true. The Labour Party has only once won an election directly after losing an election. It's only happened once in our history, right? So we were trying to de defeat a century of history um, in a difficult economic, difficult kind of political circumstances. <laughs> no, I don't think we... Well, I'd, and the idea that if David had won, everything would have been easy, perfect, or a foregone conclusion that we'd have won the election, I think, I think is pretty simplistic. But when I voted for David, I hoped that would be true. But who knows how the, the five years would have gone with David as leader. And I didn't... The moment David lost and Ed won, that was it over for me. OK. I just thought, I'll support the guy who wins. Lovely, succinct answer. Last question of the night. Gentleman over there. OK. Um, how well did you know... Um... Hold on, hold on. The, the mic's coming. Not very well. How well did you know Charles Kennedy and have you got oh, any favourite memories or stories to share about him? Sorry, we're going to have a go at some Labour politician. Um, I knew Charles. Charles was elected, what was he, 23? And um, I always... Because I was elected towards the end of my 20s. And so when I got, got to Parliament at first, I took advice from Charles um, just about how do you do this at a relatively young age? I mean... I, I happen to believe I was elected too young. But that's only my personal view. I was elected without... Yeah, but you chose the summer for election. You sound like I you told you I like... won by accident. <laughs> no, you make it sound like, like you were plucked from a farm. Well, I won't... <laughs> you sort of won there with one day shoveling hay around and the, the bloody government went and put you in Parliament. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I was holding out for that bingo collar job, right? <laughs> Um, but I stood in a seat where Labour had no chance of winning and won because yeah. of the Tony Blair versus John Major thing. So, um, but I, as I said, I was kind of alluding to, I think I got elected too young. Uh, it took me to my first end of my first term in Parliament before I knew what I'd found my, foot, found my feet. But Charles was a good help because he would have liked to be six, six years younger. Um, what was my most enjoyable thing about campaigning with Charles? Charles, I... I, first of all, politics is a very, 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 very lonely business. My predecessor, I, when I got there at first, I'd never run a small business, but it felt like it must be what, what it was like. Being an MP, employing your staff, living in your little office, was a, you didn't really feel as though you were part, you often didn't feel as though you were part of a collegiate thing. 
it was competitive. You and your staff and your office and your constituency, and it was kind of sense of you're all kind of trying to get ahead of one another because there's a pole, a cre- kind of there's a career to be built, all that sort of stuff. And Charles never kind of, despite becoming party leader, it never struck me as that way. But my predecessor, um, uh, drink got the better of my predecessor. Um, he was drinking privately. He, admit, he talks about it publicly now, but he was going to his office at night and drinking privately, and it affected his mental health. And he ended up very publicly in a, a bad place, in kind of in public embarrassment and things. So the alcohol. So I think politics and politicians shrugged it. Say, well, what do you expect me to do when someone's got that illness? And we all, most of us now have got the maturity to accept it's an illness. It's not a kind of habit. It's a genuine illness. And how do you help an alcoholic? Every family's got alcohol. I mean, many families have got alcoholics. That's hard. Um, but politics is not supportive of enough of people with that illness. Of all political parties, they weren't supportive enough of my predecessor. And I don't think they were support. This is my, my personal view, and I'm not here to kind of do anyone down in their party because it's a cross-party thing. I don't think people were long-term supportive enough. And it was it got to a point of, oh, Charles has just been Charles again. And that's no way to treat someone with it. You wouldn't treat someone with any other illness in that way. Um, and I think that's what the political class did. And when he was on Newsnight, and he's, when he wasn't well, um, I don't think the BBC... I asked the BBC Newsnight team about this when I was on, and they, they had their explanation, which I didn't find convincing, which was he only turned up just before it went on air, and they didn't know he was... He had kind of fallen prey to his illness that day. Um, but it was kind of unconvincing. They just, they just put him on. They put a vulnerable man in a terrible situation so close to an election campaign that it became kind of social, a kind of social media phenomenon and everything else. And that, that must have been really hard from the next few days. But my favourite memory was during the referendum. I said earlier, I had two, my two iron brew crates. I went to a thing called the Black Isle Show. And for all of my kind of mock, kind of kind of belittling of the tombola and all that sort of stuff. This was a genuinely impressive constituency event in Charles's ex-constituency. And there was thousands of people there. And he got one iron brew crate and I got the other. And I hope you don't mind me saying this because it's, it's, self, it's it self-deprecating. The end of it is, I delivered a much better speech than Charles. Right? <laughs> genuinely. I was, but he delivered a much more popular speech. I, I thought I delivered a better speech because mine was all about the currency and da 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 and all these kind of geopolitics. And Charles just got up in his crate and just talked like the people who were there about the people, the things that the people that were there wanted to speak about. And the crowd got bigger as he was speaking. Now, in a politics, and for a, and I kind of don't want this, I'm not trying to be anyway humorous about this. In a pol- politics, for a crowd to get bigger as a politician <laughs> speaks. It's a genuinely kind of... It's an unusual phenomenon. Right? And Charles had that. And so I love... That was, this, that was last summer. Um, and it's, I've got this picture. I've saved a picture. It's, you would have seen it on my phone, if you'd looked. Um, I hasn't even thought to go through your photos. <laughs> <laughs> go through your Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> OK. I know what that is. Um, <laughs> but that would, I can't think, that would be my, most, my favourite, most recent memory of him, was just that he was in 
brilliant, 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 brilliant form that day. Um, and he was full of fun. And then for him to pass out, I was at, I was, I was at his funeral last week before last week, on a Friday up in the Highlands. It was, these things are, these things, I hate going to funerals. One of the things I hate about going to funerals, and this is kind of morbid way to finish, but kind of, is you always find out things about people that you wish you'd known when they were alive. And I'm, I'm assuming almost all of us have been to a funeral where the eulogy is, you think, it makes you laugh, it makes you want to cry and laugh. And you think, I wish I'd known that so I could have spoke to them about it. One of the things I love, I kind of said earlier, I love football, but um, Charles was kind of one of the things, Charles' only experience of football, because he was not a sportsman, um, was his brother used to get him to be the goalpost. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was never going to be, at least he early in life adjusted to the fact that he was not going to be a professional footballer. For some of us it took us a lot longer. Was that your phone? Was that Miliband calling back? <laughs> no, but I'll tell you my... I don't want to end the... Here we go, no, the sorry. big finish. This Mandelson story better be good. It's not. <laughs> but um, when I was... Um, it's about kissing as well, so it's like kissing, there's kissing in it as well. Oh, that's good. Very excited. Uh, <laughs> and it involves the Queen. Oh. Bloody hell. Yeah. <laughs> Saucy. <laughs> um, I spoke about this at a trade union conference and the people laughed at the wrong point and they laughed so loudly that I just stopped because they thought that was the joke. <laughs> so I'll see if you guys... <laughs> So this was a, it was a shop Big work. sell on the way in it this. Was a, it was the shop workers conference and I did, it was an after dinner thing I was doing and they took this to mean something different. But you're a kind of kind of the metropolitan elite, so maybe you'll laugh at the right point if at all. Um, I, and, oh yeah, I was, well, I was going to get thrown into going to the cabinet and when you do that you've got to go along and meet the Queen. And I'd never met the Queen before. Ever. I mean, I met her. Subsequently when I met her we only really talked about horse racing tips. Because uh, I took, I mean, I think in my Wikipedia entry, because obviously she spends a lot of time on Wikipedia, um, or however, I mean, it was to, I, some biog she must have got about me was I'm interested in horse racing. Uh, but I think she to, this isn't the story about Manson, but I think she totally misunderstood my interest in horse racing. Hers obviously is about ownership and breeding, and mine was about Ladbrokes and William Hill. <laughs> <laughs> and it was entirely, it was a really difficult conversation, because I only ever asked her for tips. Um, but I went, to, I went along to be, join the cabinet, you had to go and meet the Queen, and I thought, what do you do when you meet the Queen? And I told my mum and dad, and my mum and dad said, look, make sure your shoes are polished and your hair's combed and behave, and think about what to say, and we'll talk about it. And for days beforehand, we were doing the kind of, if she has this, then answer this, and if she asks you about that, answer this. If she asks you if your family are all Republicans, don't tell her the truth. <laughs> um, all sorts of other things. Um, so I practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. So when we got there, I was joining the cabinet for the first time, and Peter Mandelson was joining the cabinet for the third time, I think. <laughs> I think it was the third. Um, which obviously gives away the Radio 5 life, thing, <laughs> you guessed anyway. Um, and so we walked, the kind of flunky, the, the kind of, and it's not the maitre d' of course, but whoever, the kind of lady in waiting, senior lady in waiting says, what's going to happen is you'll turn up, um, Her Majesty will ask you some questions and when she's finished, there's a buzzer on the table and you've not to acknowledge that you've heard the buzzer but immediately you hear the buzzer, stop mid-sentence. Whatever you're saying, stop mid-sentence, 
and take some steps backwards and retreat, re retire from the room, walking backwards, <laughs> with only uttering, thank you, Your Majesty. <laughs> right. And I thought, okay, go in, da-da-da, da-da-da, buzzer, da, right, concentrate, concentrate, concentrate. Um, so Peter Mandelson and I would... So I did the thing, and because I'm Catholic, um, well, you, you kiss the ring. Right, that was a bit of the true unionist laughed at. <laughs> you kiss the ring. Right. Um, and so you swear no allegiance to any foreign potentate, which is the Pope. Kind of reasons of religious history in our country. Um, and Catholics have to do that and different oaths and things like that. But so we did that, and my Majesty um, said to Peter Mandelson, um, how are you enjoying being back, Mr. Mandelson? I am, Your Majesty. And she said, she said to me and said, and you're my new man in Scotland. I said, I am, Your Majesty. And I thought, right, concentrate, 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 don't fuck it up, don't fuck it up, don't fuck it up. That was going through my head, and I was thinking, don't say that out loud, don't say that out loud, don't say that out loud. When can I kiss your ring? <laughs> I had already done that. Um, and so I thought, right, here it comes. I've practiced. And she said, she looked at Peter Manderson. She looked at me. I thought, right, ask me first. Get it over and done with. Looked at Peter Manderson, looked at me, went, you both must be very busy. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I said, thank you, Your Majesty. <laughs> and stepped backwards out of the room. And that was the extent of my in-depth conversation with Her Majesty and, and, and Peter Manderson. And other than horse racing tips, that's all I ever spoke to her about. Kissing her ring and her... <laughs> <laughs> the more you say it, the, sort of, the filthier it becomes. That won't be podcast, that'll be cut out. Oh, no, it won't. <laughs> This is going to be a 10 second podcast, so just for you, said I kissed the ring of the Queen. <laughs> and you refused to kiss me? For what reason? Oh, I haven't refused yet. <laughs> I just don't want to do it now. So I'm just playing hard to get. Okay. <laughs> that is it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're going to take a break for the summer. We'll be back in September um, and we'll announce the new lineup. Uh, then, thank you for, for coming tonight and for supporting it as always. Thank you very much. <laughs> Mr. Jim Murphy. There you go, Jim Murphy. Um, it was an absolute riot of a night. The worst thing was, afterwards, uh, we were in the bar and he, and he unlocked his phone and David Miliband had rung back twice. Um, what, I, uh, what a scoop that would have been. Um, but it was a real pleasure of a night. And uh, just incredible getting to talk to someone so close to their departure. And you can still get a sense, I, I don't know, I think all of us that are interested in politics, and particularly those people that are actually in elected politics, after there's a major seismic political event, sometimes it takes a while for the dust to settle and for people to figure out their thoughts. And I think that's true of the Scottish referendum, of the general election, certainly true of the Labour leadership election that everyone's just been through. People are still trying to put the whole thing into context, trying to figure out where we as individuals stand on it. And politicians go through that as well, and I thought it was really interesting to talk to Jim very soon after the pain, very soon after the storm, and just get his early thoughts on it um, that were wonderful. 
There are two more shows to be released very soon. Ruth Davidson, the leader of the Scottish Conservatives, who I interviewed at the Edinburgh Festival, that one will be out soon as well. Uh, and Susan Evans uh, from UKIP, that one is uh, recorded and will be out very soon as well. So there'll be this and two others out in quite quick succession. The next live shows, um, my next guest is Tommy Shepherd, and um, will be the first member of the Scottish National Party uh, that I've had on the show. I'm very excited about. Um, he used to run, own uh, the stand. Um, Comedy clubs in Newcastle and Glasgow, where it started, and in Edinburgh. So he's, he's well known in the comedy fraternity. If you've seen him on any of the shows that he's done, any of the interviews, or indeed heard him on radio, you'll know he's a, a phenomenal ambassador for the SNP and a very likeable man and a very funny man. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's on the last um, Wednesday of October. That one's already sold out. The November show, which will be the last one of the year, has already sold out as well. Uh, and then I'll be getting the new dates for next year on sale. Um, I've got some very exciting guests to announce um, for the new year. So check out the website, mapford.com. Follow me on Twitter, at mapford. Thank you very much for downloading this. And it's always a pleasure. I'm on tour at the moment. So it's always really cool when I meet people afterwards and they say, oh, I listen to your podcast because it means a great deal. Um, firstly, that you listen to this. Secondly, that you enjoy it. And then thirdly, that you would come and see me. But uh, if you'd like to come and see me on tour, I'm all over the country. Uh, you can check out the dates at mattford.com live um well that's it and there'll be another one along soon thanks again Ta-ra.